Welcome to the Emmanuel Baptist Church Podcast. We pray that the sermon you're about to hear would be useful as you grow in your love for God and your love for His Church. Now, here's today's sermon. Grab your copy of God's Word, and if you don't have one, there are Bibles in the chairs in front of you, seats in front of you. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 3. In the Pew Bibles, that's page 808. Page 808. So far, while you're turning there, so far what we've seen is the early life of Jesus into toddlerhood, if that's a word. And then it cuts scene and goes to describing John the Baptist, which we know from the other gospel accounts is the cousin of Jesus. And now we find ourselves in verse 13, the end of the chapter, where Jesus comes to be baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist. Let me read, starting verse 13 through the end of chapter 3, this is the Word of God. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, with whom I am well pleased. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. You know, a theologically rich and biblically accurate movie hit the box offices in 2013. And I'm sure young families with kiddos already know what I'm talking about. Frozen, right? I know. If you didn't think of it now, you're like, oh, duh. But think about it. Elsa royalty, spends her childhood hidden from her kingdom until her coronation, right? And then everyone starts singing, right? It's been forever. What's that song? Uh, Yeah, you know the song. Some people know the song. I can't think of the song, but um, and now it's here. When it's time for her to sit on her throne as the ruler of the kingdom. At that point, she steps out so that all of her people in her kingdom get to finally see her all grown up. I'm pretty sure they wrote that with the Bible in mind. In this passage, we see Jesus step out for the first time, at least recorded in Scripture, into the spotlight after 30 years of obscurity, of No recognition at all. Up to this point, he has not been known as Jesus the Messiah or the Son of God. And yet he makes his debut in an incredible fashion. 
doesn't he? He steps out into the limelight, displays himself to the people who he was born to rule. And it's here, now that he's all grown up, that he reveals himself to his people in chapter, the end of chapter 3. But not only does Jesus step out into the spotlight by himself, does he? But he brings with him the other two members of the Trinity so that the triune God is seen. It's a really incredible thing. And I don't think it's a coincidence that Jesus' ministry starts here in, John, uh, in Matthew chapter 3, starts here by displaying the Trinity, and then it, the book of Matthew ends Jesus' ministry on earth, or life on earth, with what? The last few words of the, of the book of Matthew are Jesus saying, go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the bookends of Jesus' life, according to Matthew, is displaying the Trinity in full view. And I don't think that's a coincidence. We are to know the Trinity, love the Trinity, and worship the triune God. Right? And yet, as was already said, the Trinity is really hard to understand. Right? I mean, any analogy that we could come up with is still falls short. Right? I mean, we could, we could do the water, and that's really helpful for kiddos to start to understand. But at the end of the day, we, we know, right, that a water molecule can only be either ice, water, or vapor at any given second. And yet the triune God is all three simultaneously. Right? So still the analogy breaks down if you really look deep into it. Or, or of course, the, the egg analogy. We all know the, the egg analogy. If you grew up in church, the egg is made up of shell, the yolk, and the egg whites. No trick questions here. And yet, the Trinity is not 33% God, the Father, 33% Jesus, and 33% Spirit. Right? Jesus is 100% God. The Spirit is 100% God. The Father is 100% God. They're not partial, partially God until they all come together, and now they're, oh, now we have God. So still, all these analogies, they're helpful to some extent, and yet break down Ultimately, it's really hard to understand the Trinity, isn't it? It's one mystery for us on this side of heaven. But in this passage, we see the triune God. All three operating, all three doing something distinct from one another, simultaneously in one another's presence. And so in this passage, I just want us to walk through seeing the triune God at work in the baptism of Christ. Okay? First, we see the Son goes to get baptized. The Son does that. The Holy Spirit doesn't come to get baptized. The Father doesn't come to get baptized. We see it in verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by Him. This is what the Son does. And John, at first, he, he objects, doesn't he? He says, no way, I can't do this. That's verse 14. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? And let's be honest, right? It makes sense. I, 
I, don't, I couldn't say that I would probably do anything other than what John did. I'm probably no better than him. Isn't it so easy for us to read and say, oh, ye of little faith. I would have done so much better. Right? I mean, you read like Adam and Eve and like, I wouldn't have eaten the fruit. No way. I would have been content. Right? I mean, the reality is, is John was, his baptism was a baptism of repentance. For who? Well, sinners repent. And so Jesus, the holy, perfect Lamb of God, comes to John and John says, no way, whoa, 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 whoa. You don't understand the baptism I'm doing here. This is one for sinners to repent. So it makes sense that he objects at first. But I think it does cause you and I to ask ourselves a question. I want you to ponder it for just a second. What do we do when Jesus commands something which doesn't make sense to us? I don't know if you're like me, but there are those in the Bible. Passages that don't make sense. What do we do when Jesus commands something that doesn't make sense to us? Well, we know that John had already accepted Jesus' divinity and His divine authority superiority. He knew who Jesus was. I mean, just go back up in, in the same chapter to verse 11. He says, I, I baptize, he's talking to these people, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he, he's talking about Jesus, who is coming after me, he's mightier than I am. Whose sandals, I'm not worthy to even carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So he knew the identity of of Jesus Christ. And yet, get this, he rejects Jesus' first instruction to him. That doesn't make sense. John wasn't perfect. I, I think a similar case study would be Peter, right? Peter said that Jesus was the Christ, Mark chapter 8, and yet, when Christ said, let's head to Jerusalem, I need to be crucified, same passage, Mark chapter 8, Peter says, no way, I won't have it. And Jesus has to say, get behind me, Satan. He calls him Lord, and yet at the first hint of a, a command that doesn't make sense, he says, I can't do it, no way. Guys, let's apply this to our lives, okay? Some things just don't make sense to us. Right? That God would bring good out of that tragedy you're going through doesn't make sense. We don't really understand how. We don't understand His mind in that. Some commands are just really hard to obey. Submit. Turn the other cheek. Love. some really hard things that we have to follow. And I think what we learn here is that not understanding God's command isn't a good reason for not obeying God's command. Okay? Not understanding God's reasoning is not a good reason to not obey the command itself. 
And actually, this wasn't the last time that John the Baptist struggled with doubting Jesus. Right? John was confident in Jesus' identity as the Messiah. Again, I mean, we could have read verse 11 there, or you could go to John chapter 1. And we can see in verse 29, whenever he sees Jesus coming, he says, behold, it's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I'd say he has a pretty good Christology in John chapter 1. He, I mean, even in our current passage in, in Matthew chapter 3, he heard a voice from heaven. This is my son. Right? I think that would pretty well lock it tight for understanding who Jesus was, his authority, his divinity. And yet still, later in life, towards the end of John's life, Luke chapter 7, we still see that he is struggling with doubts. It says, John sent two of his disciples to the Lord saying, are you the one who is to come? Should we look for another? Don't you just want to shake him and you say, John, do you remember the, the skies and the, and the heavens? Do you remember the voice? Do you remember what even came out of your own mouth, the Lamb of God who takes away this? John! I think what we can learn here is Having doubts doesn't make you a fake Christian. It makes you human. Jesus even said later in the book of Matthew that when it comes to men born of women, there's none more righteous than John the Baptist. That is pretty amazing to be coming from the words of Jesus, and yet John the Baptist doubted at the very end of his life, saying, are you, are you the one? And so I just want to encourage anyone out there, if you struggle with doubts sometimes, welcome to the club. Me too. It doesn't make you a fake Christian. It doesn't make you an evil Christian. It just makes you human struggling. John struggled here when Jesus went to go get baptized. But still, the question remains, the question that John was struggling with too, why would Jesus want to get baptized? Right? Why did Jesus want to receive a sinner's baptism? Sarah and I went, uh, we went flying somewhere, I can't remember. Oh yeah, the East Coast some, a couple weeks back, and uh, we were going on, uh, to the airport, and the lines, if you know, right, for security, just, just weave back and forth, back and forth, like 15 rows deep. Like, oh, this will take two hours long. And there was a guy standing in the line, and the lady for security was saying, if you've got fast pass or whatever she called it, skip the line, head to the front. And he's like, do I? And he's like, shows her all her paperwork. She goes, yeah, you've got to go. He's like, oh, great. And he just, he passes probably 150 people, and he just walks straight up to the very front. He's the next in line now. Could you imagine if he were like, no, you know what, I appreciate that, but I think I'm going to wait in line. I think I'm going to do that. What are you doing? You don't need to do that. Why are you doing that? And right, that but that's exactly, Jesus didn't have to get a sinner's baptism for repentance, and yet he comes up and John says, what are you doing? He says, I have to do this. But you're not a sinner, Jesus. Hebrews 10, Jesus was perfect. And yet he chose to receive a baptism for 
repentance. We can speculate as to why, a couple ideas. Well, one, I think it was an endorsement to John's ministry. He did it so to endorse John, I would guess. Right? We, we can see actually from earlier in Mark, Matthew chapter 3, John's message, verses 1 and 2, was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Matthew chapter 4, in the next chapter, we're going to see Jesus saying word for word the exact same message. So he obviously supports the message of John the Baptist, and so this very well could be his endorsement of John's ministry. I think also he got baptized for our example. So not only did he get baptized for John, but he got baptized for us. At the end of Matthew, Matthew 28, right, it says, go make disciples, baptizing all of them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you should be baptized. If Jesus, the spotless lamb, did it, you and I, as his disciples, should as well. And so, can I just pause and maybe speak to anyone in the room who that it might apply to? If you have faith in Christ today, but you haven't made that public declaration in the form of baptism, I encourage you, you should. And I don't say that from my authority. I say that from the Word of God. You should. You should. So these are speculations. He got baptized for John's sake. He got baptized for our sake as an example. But one reason for sure we can see in verse 15, he got baptized for God. To fulfill all righteousness, he says. Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And this, this goes to the heart of the gospel that you and I really need to understand. You see, the gospel is that Christ was perfect and we're pretty stained. And yet, He would give us His perfect righteousness and take in His place, or take for Himself, our sinfulness and live the life that we deserve, the death that we deserve as well. And so, as he would swap places with us, sinners, he did everything that a sinner should do. It's that easy. And that includes public repentance and baptism. These are things that sinners should do. And so, as Christ would take the place of sinners, he does what we should do. So, the Son gets baptized, and then in verse 16, we see the Spirit anoints the Son. So, you could say the Son obeyed, the Spirit anoints. Let me read verse 16. It says, When Jesus was baptized, immediately He went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to Him. And He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. The Spirit of God came to rest on 30-year-old Jesus. Probably have to think about what this does and does not mean. Right? 
Because actually some unbiblical beliefs have been formed out of this. And heresy, in fact, has been formed out of this. A, a heresy called adoptionism, that Jesus was adopted by God at this point, receiving divinity here, finally receiving that. But we know that's just so contrary to the rest of Scripture. John chapter 1 is a great place, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God in the beginning. Another good place, Colossians 1. By Him, that is Jesus, all things were created that are in heaven and are on earth. And we know from the Genesis account, God created. So this idea that Jesus was adopted when the Spirit of God came upon him and now all of a sudden he's the Son of God, divine at this point, that doesn't add up. doesn't work. So what does it mean that the Spirit of God fell on Jesus? Why? What was he doing when he fell on Jesus? Well, I think one, he was confirming He was confirming that Jesus is the Messiah who was prophesied about. Isaiah chapter 42 says, Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights, I put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. This is speaking about Jesus. And so, when the spirit falls on him, this is just confirmation. Jesus is this chosen one. But also, I think the Spirit falling on him, more importantly, is empowerment. Empowerment. Empowerment for the ministry that he was called to do. In fact, Acts chapter 10 even says this. Luke records, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He received power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Oh man, that'll rattle some theology, won't it? (laughs) Think through this with me. Yes, Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully human, wasn't he? Fully God, yet fully human, needing the Holy Spirit. You're like, whoa, whoa. As soon as we start using the word need with Jesus, we start to get a little uncomfortable in our seats. But I don't think that's bad to say that Christ would need, in his humanity, the Spirit of God. Right? I mean, they're co-members of the same Godhead. They're inseparable companions. It's actually worth noting that all throughout Jesus' life, the Holy Spirit was with him empowering him to do what he was doing. We know from Matthew chapter 1, Jesus was conceived in Mary's womb by the power of the Holy Spirit. Right after this passage in Matthew chapter 3, Matthew chapter 4 starts with Jesus going out into the wilderness by the leading of the Holy Spirit. And Luke chapter 4 says that even whenever he left the wilderness, It was by the Spirit's leading. I think it's not coincidental that the very first Scripture Jesus was recorded to read in public was 
about how the Holy Spirit empowers him. Luke chapter 4, verse 17, it says, Jesus unrolled the scroll and found in that place where it was written. He was looking for it. Just notice this. He was looking for it. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim. He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Matthew chapter 12, it was the Holy Spirit who enabled him to cast out demons. If it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Just one more. It was the Holy Spirit who empowered him even to die for our sins. It was the Spirit empowering him to do that. Hebrews chapter 9. I think we have it. Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God. He's talking about sacrificing himself. So the bottom line, the Holy Spirit played a vital role in Jesus' life from conception to grave. Okay, let's apply some of that theology now, right? Please think through this with me. If it's safe to say that Jesus needed the Spirit of God, how could we fathom doing anything without his constant aid in our lives as well. And yet, I think we try to fight our our own battles all the time without the Spirit of God, don't we? As we watch our spouse degenerate in front of us, we need the Spirit of God every day to walk through that with us. As we suffer a loss of a loved one, we need the Spirit of God to comfort us. As we endure a hard anniversary, oh, we need the Spirit of God. If we're going to confess our sin that we've been hiding, we need the Spirit of God. If we're going to kill and eliminate that sin, we need the Spirit of God. If we're going to forgive somebody else because the sin they've committed, which has hurt us, guys, to forgive, you need the Spirit of God. If we're going to witness to a parent or a child who doesn't truly believe in Jesus, oh, how many of you guys know we need the Spirit of God to have that hard conversation? We need the Spirit of God. So I'd encourage you to plead with God to supply you the strength today, to go through whatever you're going through. Simply say, God, I can't do this without you. We see the Son obey the call of righteousness. We see the Spirit anoint the Son. And lastly, we see the Father approve the Son. Verse 17. This is the end of it. It says, Behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. The Father uniquely accepts Jesus. He's the only begotten Son, right? You're not the begotten Son. I'm not. Jesus is the only begotten Son, the only eternal Son of God. He's the only one who is perfectly one with the Father. So He's uniquely accepting Jesus here when He says, this is my Son. This is a unique proclamation only designated to Jesus. And we can't diminish the 
one and only standing of Christ in the eyes of the Father, and yet, without diminishing that uniqueness, I do want to tell you that God joyfully adopts, welcomes in, and loves those who place their faith in Christ. He does. He does. And it's not one of those like, yeah, we'll bring you in, but you're like the kind of rejected step-sibling, right? Any Harry Potter fans? Like, you're not the Harry Potter of that family where they just like put you in the stairwell to live. Not the black sheep of the family. No, you're fully accepted, fully loved. Sarah and I just got up. Well, we were on a walk the other night, and we found this cat, this little kitten, and Sarah, of course, with her big heart, was like, we need to keep it. And so I was like, okay, fine, but its name is Cat, and it's staying outside. Don't get to name it anything other than Cat, and it stays outside. Now, I just want you to know, we also have a cat. Her name is Sophia, and that comes, not kidding, from the Greek word for wisdom, and we named her that, and she stays inside. She's got her litter box. She's got her nice little food bowl and her water bowl. She sleeps wherever she wants to sleep, and then there's cat outside with an infected eye. (laughs) We're working on the infected eye, but that's not the... That's not, that's not what God does with you and I as his adopted children. Christ is the only begotten son, perfectly loved, and yet we also, when adopted, are seen as co-heirs with Christ, beloved by God perfectly. Wow. Christian, the ruler of the world looks at you and says, you're my child. I'm well pleased with you. knowing everything that you've done, knowing everything that you will do, he can say that perfectly. Wow. So, what do we do with this passage as we walk away today? Well, we can't replicate what happened to Christ in this passage. And yet, in our own way, we can follow in his steps. He models for us. So, firstly, do you need the Father's approval? Do you need the Father's approval? That is, do you have a relationship with God? Does He look at you and say, you're my child? If not, now is the best time. I would love to talk to you about that. Someone would love to talk to you about that. You need the Father's approval. Secondly, after that, follow Christ's example of getting baptized. If you've never been baptized, follow Christ's model and be baptized. And lastly, this is for all of us. If you're listening, this is for you. Do you have the Spirit of God empowering you in your life to endure all things, to do all things that He's calling you to do? All of us can be seeking, God, empower me today. Help me today. Anoint me today with your Spirit. So I'd say those are three good steps. All of us have a step to take. Do you have the Father's acceptance? He gives it to those who place faith in Him. Do you, have you made the step of getting baptized? You should. And then Christian, do you need to pray for the Spirit's strength in your life for this week?
may we all make the next step that God has for us individually today. Let me pray for us. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. If you live in or near Bethany, Missouri, we invite you to join us for our worship services held on Sunday morning and Sunday evenings, as well as our various activities on Wednesday nights. For more information on how you can get involved, visit our website at bethanyibc.com. 